Moms, happy Mother's Day. You're about to hear the most unusual Mother's Day sermon in the history of the Christian church. Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Let's do a little bit of review before we go to the text. This morning I'm speaking on the church, and what we're doing is we're laying the groundwork for for approving a new church constitution and bylaws, and we're establishing who we are. This morning, the church standing for truth before the throne. Now, you all know that standing for truth in the United States of America is going to become more and more difficult. How many of you believe that? Amen? And so that's why we have to establish some things now. We need to lay the groundwork for some things so that we're not taken by surprise. And what what are we talking about? Well, holiness before the throne. Holiness means separate, other, different. That means we're going to look different than other churches. And as the culture progresses, we're going to look more and more different. We already look different because of the translation of the Bible that we use. We look different because of the the, the verse-by-verse exposition that we do week after week after week. Our stand for the truth. We are going to be different. Why? Well, because everything is before God. The, the idea of being holy before the throne of God, the Bible says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Everything we see, he sees. Everything we think, he knows. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So as a church, our motives, our attitudes. Here in a minute, we're going to go through some, I don't know, some pretty heavy stuff. I'm going to ask you to really concentrate, to really focus, because we're going to be reading some things together. And here's the thing, and I'm not saying this as a guilt trip or whatever. Just remember, God knows your attitude on these things. Everything is opened and naked before him with whom we have to do, before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We have to remember that the church does not belong to us. We belong to him. We can't change the church to go along with cultural norms that violate the word of God because Jesus is the head of the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's Colossians 1.18. We're not allowed to mold the church to our own wants or desires. So why do we need to stand against the darkness of our day? Let's tie this to Mother's Day. Look at uh, Titus chapter 2 and look at verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience, that the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women, here is what the older ladies in the church are to teach the young ladies, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste. Look at this. Keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, how many of you think that that list fits in our modern day culture? I promise you there are women in this room right now that are chafing just as we read this. Why? Because honestly, it violates your human nature. The word of God is an affront to my flesh. The word of God is an affront to your flesh. That's why we have to submit to it through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I've tried to explain to young men is I I did not want to marry a wallflower. I didn't want to marry a girl that would just agree with everything that I say. And may I say, mission accomplished. (laughs) Now, I'll embarrass her. She's brilliant. Very high IQ, very opinionated, right most of the time, at least if you asked her. But honestly, most of her opinions are right, the way that we are doing things in the home. 
So how does our... Now, of course, you all know that I am submissive and easy to get along with and very malleable in my opinions. How in the world have we stayed married for 30 years? Well, she's chosen to submit to her husband. She's chosen to love her husband. Um, Our children are already being successful. Why? Because she chose to be the keeper at home. The discipline that our children exhibit, (laughs) hallelujah, is not my discipline. Because she chose to be the keeper at home. Somehow, that has been relegated to a position of of disdain. A, A lack of fulfillment. Why? Because Satan hates the home. Satan hates God's order. He hates it. And we're going to look at how that manifests itself. Why do we need to stand against the darkness of our day? Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. How is it that right now in Ireland they're saying that you can't go to church if you go to church or have a prayer meeting, you're going to go to jail for six months? How is it that that's happening in our culture? How, that's the Western world. How is that happening? How is it that every liberal governor is still implying all the same junk, even though all the cases are going down, the death rate in the world has not gone up, the death rate in the United States has not gone up? Is there a virus? Yes. Is it a serious thing? Yes, especially if you have underlying conditions. Are more people dying of that than have died of other things? No. So what are they doing? How is it that the head of Ireland and the head of New York, the head of California, the head of Michigan, how is it that they're all imposing the same godless, anti-liberty views on the world? How is that? Are they all getting in a meeting and talking? No. They all have the same master, Satan. Is it a conspiracy? Yes. It's a conspiracy of shared ideas. They think that they're making their own decisions, but they're walking according to the course of this world, against the spirit, according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. According to the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. That's what they're doing. And we need to understand that this attack on the home is a satanic agenda. And we're going to look at kind of some of the history of that tonight. As American citizens, we have, or this morning, it's not tonight. I've been doing too many conferences, man. I don't know where I am. As American Christians, we have come to the sudden realization that we are no longer the home team. We are competing on enemy turf. First time I went to the Ohio State-Michigan football game. Man, I was glad I wasn't a Michigan fan. It was unbelievable. You walk on the campus, holy cow. And for us, we've, we've been talking about, Brother Knox, when he preached our conference, talked about it. We've lived in this parenthesis of religious liberty. We've lived in this unique period of time where the United States was, while it may not have ever been a Christian nation, it was certainly favorable to Christianity. And now all of a sudden we're waking up to the realization that now we're the enemy. Whereas we used to understand there might be people in the stands that would be cheering for the other team. Now they hate us. That's the world that we are living in. And we finally come to the realization, and it's almost a sudden realization. The secular left, and this is such an important thing for us to to grasp, The secular left does not believe that America can be fixed. They say it must be destroyed. And I know, as a matter of fact, Laura read this. She came into my office and she read that as I was doing some work. And she said, I don't know that people really believe that. Because, like, if you say that that Joe Biden hates us, most people would say, that's kind of strong. Really? Have you seen the Equality Act? 
See, do you think that that Nancy Pelosi and the leaders of our country on the left, do you think that they, they believe that the United States can be reformed? No, that's why they're trying to absolutely destroy our country. That's why they want to pack the Supreme Court. Because the Constitution will not allow them to do what they want to do. So they have to not change it, they have to destroy it. Remember, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said in Gulag Archipelago, he said that for people to be destroyed, you must first sever them from their roots. What they want to do is they want to cast us adrift from our moorings. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the people do? That's the world that we live in. And we have to understand that there is a social, political, educational, there's an agenda to destroy everything that we are. And that's why things violate common sense. Whoever would have said that men can have babies... and other things that I wouldn't mention in this crowd. We're we're expected to just accept those ludicrous statements. It really is 1984. It really is this double speak where everything is just turned upside down on its head. Why? It's a satanic agenda. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers, you say, Pastor, isn't that spiritual? How can you separate the spiritual from the political? You can't. You can't. On the rubble of America's Judeo-Christian past, a new America will emerge, which they say will be free of poverty, racism, and white supremacy. See, I want you to understand something. We live in a world of propaganda. Let me explain to you how propaganda works. It was really, the concept was really invented by a guy named Edward Bernays. It was popularized through um, Goebbels in the the Third Reich. And here's here's what propaganda requires. Fear and hatred. You have to have something to fear and someone to hate. I was at the barbershop, and uh, the guy's wearing a mask. I said, didn't you get vaccinated? He goes, yeah, I've gotten vaccinated. I said, why are you wearing a mask? And he started repeating some line. I said, well, Fauci said, first of all, that if you get vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You're just believing lies. And it's people like you that lead to the killing of the Jews. It's people like you that lead to the killing of the Christians and the banning of Christianity. Well, that's not fair. You begin listening to lies. You compare what Fauci has said all through the last year. He's a liar. He's a despot. He's a tyrant. And you have to be absolutely ignorant to believe him. But they have the memory of a goldfish. And it's all about control. It's all about manipulation. What I love to say is, well, my uncle got COVID. Did he die? That's my answer all the time. Did he die? Well, no. Then what are we talking about? Well, I know somebody who died of COVID. Oh, really? Can I, did you all know something? How many of you know that people in nursing homes die? Anybody know that? You know that I think it's like 40% of people who go into nursing homes die within the first six months. Man, that's a great place to get your numbers for a pandemic. We're based, what's happening is we're in a culture that's based on lies. So you have to have fear and you have to have hatred. Who are we fearing and hatreding now? Who are we fearing and hating now? The white supremacists. Have you ever met one? Are there any? Yeah, I guess near Covington there's this group of white supremacists that that would love to come together and that they were just excited that the Black Lives Matter people were going to come to Covington. They were ready. So are there some people like that? Yeah. 
But that's not what they mean. They mean you. Are there white supremacists? Yeah, like 20. That's not acceptable in society. It's certainly not acceptable in the church. Amen. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. We're all one in Christ. There's no white supremacists in here. I learned that on the basketball court. My white did not give me supremacy. (laughs) Well, that's racist. That's not racist at all. Listen, I promise you this. At Grace Baptist Church, we're all one. We've all been made of one blood. And so what they're doing is they're creating, through critical race theory, they're creating this. That you, because of your white skin, you must be a racist. You have to be. You're required to be. That's sowing division. That's not sowing oneness. And it's disgusting, and I hate it. And so, the white supremacy, the, the, you know, I'm pointing at the screen there. You guys are looking up here. Everyone turn around and read my screen. No. The secular left's goal is a future in which everyone will be equal on their terms. Listen, equal on their terms. And the disparities of the past will be read about only in history books. Those who resist this utopian vision are to be vilified, bullied, and shamed until they admit to the mistakes of the past and embrace the secular left's great hope for the future. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book called We Will Not Be Silenced. I'm going to be quoting from it quite a bit in this message. But isn't that a true statement? Is what they're doing. You're going to be, if you don't agree with their categories, with their definitions, with their words, have you all noticed that the words change about once a month? And if you don't keep up with their dictionary, their lexicon, well, then you're a racist or you're a bigot. Why? They're trying to control the language in order to control you. And we have to say no. No. Good news. We're more prepared for this battle than we realize. You know, the Bible has prepared us for this for 2,000 years. I like what the passage says. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not ignorant of it. Now, the darkness is manifested. This darkness that we're to stand against is manifested through a system called cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism. Now, how many of you have noticed that I just have not, over the last several years, I've just not dealt with politics or this kind of stuff very much. Here's why. You all have access to the Internet. You'll have access to a lot of the same sources that I use. What I'm going to try to bring to this message is my own um, study of history that's gone on for 30 years, and I'm trying to apply it biblically and then help us set the agenda for Grace Baptist. So I hope that this will be a help for you in, in simplifying some of these things. The darkness is manifested through a system called cultural Marxism. Let's compare that to classical Marxism. Originally, Marxists built their political agenda on the theory of class conflict, right? You had the proletariat and you had the bourgeois. The bourgeois were the ruling class, the proletariat's the working class. And they they wanted to, to, to instill class division. But here's the problem. Capitalism worked so well that everybody's rich. So sowing that class division becomes very difficult, Right? And that's where cultural Marxism came in. Marx believed that the primary characteristic of industrial societies was the imbalance of power between capitalists and workers. The solution to that imbalance, according to Marx, was revolution. The workers would eventually gain consciousness of their plight, seize the means of production, overthrow the capitalist class, and usher in a new socialist society. So that's the definition that Christopher Rufo gave in the latest imprimis. Uh, Uh, magazine. So what they want to do, remember, it's all about change. It's all about hope and change. It's all about, um, you know, you guys know what a transformer is, you know, the little toy, the transformer. Do do you know what Barack Obama's, who who Barack Obama's favorite transformer was? Karl Marx. Terrible joke. All right. So Remember that Marxists always require, it's based on Hegel, remember the thesis, 
The opposite of that is the antithesis, the antithesis. Through dialogue, you come to a consensus. So you have the thesis, which is the, the standard, the antithesis, and then you move to an, a, a, a synthesis. But now that synthesis is the thesis. And so now you need revolution to overthrow that. That's going to have an antithesis. Through dialogue, you're going to come to a synthesis. So you start with the truth right here, which is our democratic republic. That's, that, that's where you start. But through this Hegelian Marxist dialectic, man, we're so far away from where we started, you can't even see it. And we're going to see it in a minute. What they wanted was equality. Is that right? That's what Marxists have always wanted was equality. Marx introduced a theory of state supremacy that necessitated economic and social controls that were imposed in Russia after the revolution of 1917. This is where the government controls the means of production. They control everything. The state abolished private property and set out to bring equality and justice to an oppressed people. Now, you say, well, we don't have government control of the means of production. Yeah, talk to any business owner. Talk to any farmer. The regulation is government control of that industry. Have you ever noticed the car companies are making cars that nobody wants? That's government control. You, you have these cafe standards that they have to meet. So they're, they're making cars that people don't want. That's government control. But one of the problems is now the heads of the corporations are woke. And they're going to go along with this, this globalist, satanic agenda. Uh, you know, I had to fly last week, and I flew Delta. When they asked me for, for my ID, I wanted to say, wait a minute, I thought ID was racist. Remember Delta came out against Georgia and required the All-Star game to move out of Georgia because they want to require voter ID? Why? Well, duh, black people don't have IDs. Black people are too stupid to get IDs. They're too poor to get IDs. Is that the most racist thing you've ever heard? It's, the idea is... Would any of you ever even imagine... Well, I know a black guy. I guess he doesn't have a driver's license. I don't know. I know. It's the most racist idea I've ever heard. And so Coca-Cola goes along with it. And Delta goes along with it. And all these industries... And they end up with government control, the means of production. The state abolished private property and set out to bring equality and justice to an oppressed people. State supremacy necessitated religious suppression and the curbing of individual rights. Remember, one of our Baptist distinctives is individual soul liberty. And that's why America has done so well. It's based on the rights of the individual, not the rights of the group. And that's why socialism wants to remove you from being an individual and put you into a group. You're white. You're black. You're a woman. You're a man. And then they redefine things. How many of you know that there are more women in the United States than men? How many of you know that? Then why are you called a minority? Huh? Because they take the language and turn it upside down. They take the language and turn it upside down. There are more women in college than there are men. They're not a minority. Was there a time when women had less rights? Yes. Is that now? No. That battle's over. But remember, remember, it's all about the revolution. It's all about the revolution. The result of classical Marxism was 100 million people dead in China, the Soviet Union, Cuba, Cambodia, etc. Cultural Marxism is Marxism 2.0. So what happened... I'm going to go through this quickly, but Antonio Gramsci was a, a Marxist. He was put in prison in Italy by the, the, by the, the fascist Benito Mussolini between 1926 and 1937. And he wrote a book, I think it's called Prison Letters or something. Isn't it funny how they have to steal stuff from the Apostle Paul? And so he wrote this. One of the ways the proletariat must undertake such a task, this is the, the reorganizing of the world, is through organic intellectuals which for Gramsci are the dominant group's deputies, exercising the subaltern functions of social hegemony and political government. And I know you're reading that and you're going, what? So understand, this is the way that the elite manipulates students. 
If you're in a college class and you're studying Gramsci, and never, never forget, Hillary Clinton wrote her master's thesis on Gramsci. This is where she got her, her worldview. So Gramsci is saying that what we have to do if we're going to reorder society, we're seeing all of the deaths and all of the horror in these communist countries. So we have to move the battle from the battlefield to the culture. And that's where it changed to cultural Marxism. And the way to do it is you need organic intellectuals. What is that? Not the elites, not the, not the blue bloods teaching people, but just the average person in the school, and that person will rise up over time through seniority to be the teacher, the one who is setting the stage. Now, that's going to take a long time, isn't it? And that's why he coined the idea of the long march through time. Not going to overthrow it militarily. You're going to do it as a, in a long march through the culture. So, organic intellectuals, which for Gramsci are the dominant groups, deputies, exercising the subaltern functions of the social hegemony. He made this word hegemony uh, popular. And it just is absolute control. All right, so um, YouTube has hegemony over the Internet video world. Google has hegemony in the search engine world, right? You don't say uh, whatever one of them, a dog patch it, whatever that is. You say Google it. That's, that's hegemony. Do you all understand what I mean by that? You follow me on that? That's hegemony. And this is what Gramsci was trying for. Um, their function in society is primarily that of organizing. Barack Obama, right? Saul Alinsky, they learned from him. Organizing, administering, that's the bureaucratic class. President Trump becomes president, can't do anything because of the bureaucracy. That's the administration. Directing, educating, or leading others. These specialized cadres formed both in the working class political party and through education had the duty of organizing, administering, directing, educating, or leading others. The formation of a national popular collective is not an autonomous process. In other words, people aren't going to naturally do socialism because it violates everything that's true. It violates the laws of, of uh, sowing and reaping. The formation of a national popular collective is not an autonomous process, nor is the will of that collective. The organic intellectuals who must be unrelated to the intellectuals of the bourgeoisie, that's the, the ruling class, must organize and mediate in the formation of the national popular collective will. Now, notice that none of this actually happened until we had social media. They've talked about it forever, but the acceleration of it came when we got cell phones. Cultural Marxism is based on the long march through time. It is not being imposed on people on war battlefields. Instead, it's a form of Marxism that wins the hearts and minds of people incrementally by the gradual transformation of the culture. Bombarded with exaggerated and illusionary, prom or illusionary promises, people accept it because they want to. They welcome it because they are convinced of its benefits. Its promise, it promises hope and change, income equality. Now, income equality, racial harmony and justice based on secular values rather than Judeo-Christian morality. It is known for professing inclusion rather than exclusion and promoting sexual freedom rather than what they view as the restrictive sexual ethics of the Bible. Lutzer wrote that. Is that an amazing understanding uh, of the world that we live in? This is where we are. Cultural Marxists seek to capture five cultural institutions. Social, the way that we interact in society. We changed history to social studies. In, in the schools, everything is internationalist. It's not national sovereignty. Borders are bad. Until you have a so-called insurrection, and then they bring the military to Washington, D.C. and put fences around the Capitol. Fences don't work. Yeah. Political. Now understand, we have Socialist Party D, the Democrats, and Socialist Party R, the Republicans. They've taken over society. Educational. 
Now, all of you teachers, praise God you're there. We need you there. But never be corrupted by the institution that you are in. It is established to destroy the children. It's established to remove them from the authority of their parents. That's why it was founded. Modern education. That's why it's there. So you guys stand as a bulwark against it. Praise God for you guys. But when I say this stuff, don't get offended. Say, man, I need to stand stronger. Pray for me. Amen? Educational. Religious. My goodness. Timothy Keller. Look him up. Timothy Keller, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. One of the most popular Christian leaders. Is a full-blown Marxist. It has come into Christianity. Familial. Most important. The most important institution that the, that, that the Marxist has to overthrow is the home. Mothers, you're under attack. You have a target on your back. Marx himself knew certain foundational pillars must be torn down before a nation could rebuild a new economic, racial, and moral culture. The destruction of the family is vital to the cultural Marxist agenda. This is more important than the businesses. This is more important than the churches. They have to destroy the home. Because the home has the strongest influence on a person. Right? Have you ever had somebody say, man, you, you remind me so much of your dad. You remind me so much of your mom. And that's not on purpose. You're not trying to be like them. That's the influence that you have on them. It's so funny watching Matt and Luke up here. Right? Luke, are you doing the best you can to look like your dad? <laughs> Absolutely not. Sorry, bud, you're stuck. It's a good thing your dad's a handsome man. <laughs> Somebody said, what? The destruction of the family is vital to the cultural Marxist's agenda. Marx taught that families based on natural law. Natural law is just what happens. It's, this, is the, this is reality. Marx taught that families based on natural law and Judeo-Christian values breed inequality and feed on greed and systematic oppression. Why? Because there's generational wealth and there's generational poverty. One reason the nuclear family is an obstacle, you know what we mean by the nuclear family, mom, dad, and children. One reason the nuclear family is an obstacle to Marxism is because of the tendency for the children of the rich to inherit wealth and the children of the poor to pass along their poverty. So what's the way to fix that? Kill all the rich people. In Cambodia, they killed you if you had glasses because they thought you might be educated. How many of you think that's a solution? No. No. In Marxism, the family is perceived as a unit in which wives are suppressed by their husbands and children are suppressed by their parents. These clusters of oppression have to be broken up. Mothers have to leave their homes and join the workforce. That's the agenda. Now, ladies, if you work outside the home, I'm not preaching against that. Laura worked at the church the whole time my kids were little. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is why did this happen? Why did our economy change to where you had to have a two-income family? Why did that happen? It was on purpose. Because they wanted to get a hold of your kids. Marx wrote, anybody who knows anything of history knows that great social changes are impossible without the feminine ferment. Social progress can be measured exactly by the social position of the fair sex, the ugly ones included. Direct quote from Marx. He was a deplorable human being. Five people went to his funeral. He was a deplorable human being. Why do Marxists want mothers in the workforce? Their children must then attend state-sponsored daycare centers. Have you noticed that they're trying to get the hold of the kids sooner and sooner and sooner? Their children must then attend state-sponsored daycare centers and schools where they can be taught about the errors of creationism, the church, and, of course, the Bible. Children can also be indoctrinated about the evils of capitalism and the benefits of socialism and economic equality. This was Marx's plan. Notice now the revolution has moved from equality. The word is not equality. The word is now equity. Yesterday, Laura was asking me, when we're talking about, they're using the word equity now. And I thought I had a good understanding of it, but I looked it up. 
So this is from mental floss. This is, this is a, uh, I'm sure you teachers have seen this. This is where you get ideas on how to explain these concepts. So quote, and I, I've got the, the site there on the slide. Quote, equality has to do with giving everyone the exact same resources. Is that what equality was supposed to be in the United States? Is that what it was supposed to be? No, equality of opportunity. That's not enough now, though. Equality has to do with giving everyone the exact same resources, whereas equity involves distributing resources based on the needs of the recipients. This is interesting. They have this picture. So, on the left, that's equality. That's providing everybody with the same box, and there I am on the right. Equity is the one on the, uh, is, I'm sorry, yeah, is the picture on the right. Equity is the picture on the right. But notice, they had to take the box from the guy on the left to give it to the guy on the right. Why? Because he doesn't need it. What business is that of yours? Little guy wants two boxes, he needs to buy two boxes. Why is it the government's responsibility to provide that? You see, do you see how this would appeal to a child? Why? Because what they're taught is fairness. What were we taught? That's not fair. See, how many of you can see how how this would appeal to a child? This is how they program them. This is how they program them. If you don't, so so if I come to school with a lunch and you don't have a lunch, they're going to take my lunch and give it to you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Of course, we were so poor you wouldn't have wanted my lunch. But anyway, this is the idea. So how has this change in the mother's role and understanding of equality and equity and all these things, how has it affected society? And I think that's supposed to be affected, isn't it? Cell phones and social media override parental influence. Well, man, I'm doing great for time. All right. Will you all please listen to me right here? Will you let me be your pastor for a minute? You have no idea what screen time does to your kids. You have got to control that. You have got to control it. The things that our children hold in their hands now, the perversion, the immorality, and just like the picture that I just had, even on children's apps put out by modern educators, they are going to corrupt your children's minds. And because moms are so busy, they use the screens as babysitters. Now, can... Would y'all, how many of you recognize that what I just said is true? Would you raise your hands? You, you recognize this. So let's, as a church, you young families, you, you that are just having babies or just had babies, turn the TV off. I don't have time to go into it. Every educator, every person who understands child development knows that it, that it inhibits. It slows down your child's development. Give them the little donut things that they put on the, the stick. Give them the little, the little puzzles. Give them the things that require them to, to use their mind and their hands and learn. Talk to them. And don't talk to them as babies. Talk to them as people. I'm getting distracted. Cell phones and social media override their parental influence. I know that for many of you, uh, when Lydia was little, and she's just this little person, and somebody would say, well, hello, and she'd say, well, hello, (laughs) and just talk to you like a person. Why? Because we talk to her like a person. Many of you, your children, I can tell that you talk to them as people. Why? Because they talk like people. Funny how that works. The cell phone in a teenager's hand is doing more to shape their worldview than one hour of Sunday school or the admonitions of parents. Let's get a good hearty amen right there. And don't just recognize it. Do something about it. You know, if your child has to have a phone, give them a flip phone. 
All these guys hate me right now. <laughs> it's so destructive. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and, that, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lutzer gave this illustration in his book. You know, Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, and he took them up in his arms, and then he handed them to the pagans to educate them. He said, try different experiences. Don't listen to your parents on your gender assignment. How many of you think Jesus did that? I thought it was a fantastic illustration. We're failing, here's Lutzer, we're failing to pass our faith on to the next generation because they are captives to the culture, social media, their peers, and the indoctrination by the public schools. I think that we've, I think that this illustration I'm going to use is now passe, but do you remember when all the girls, they'd talk like this, they'd go up in the end, and there's only one vowel, ah, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? You didn't teach him that. And we live in Podunkville, right? I mean, I mean, you have to drive 50 miles to see nowhere. We, there's nothing here. Go shopping here. Where did they get it? Where did they hear that? Television, social media, right? That's the influence. We want them to be like Christ, not the culture. The answer is not to be Amish. Right? It's not the answer. The answer is to make sure that we're involved in our children's lives. And let me be real clear. Standing on the sideline is not being involved in your child's life. Man, I love it that your kids play sports, and I love it that you get to participate in it, but you're not with them when they're doing that. Are you all with me on that? Parents clothe their children, feed them, and send them to school, but the hearts of their kids are being stolen and molded by a world that many of us don't understand. I don't understand social media. I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how InstaTalk works. I, I, don't, I don't know how any of that stuff is. I don't know. Your kids do. MSNBC host, Melissa Harris-Perry, who might be the dumbest person on the planet. She said, we have to break through our private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. You remember Hillary? Takes a village to raise a child. Takes a village to raise a village idiot. Right? Parents raise children. Using education to change the worldview of children has always been the goal of cultural Marxism. What does this have to do with moms? American communist leader, party leader, William Z. Foster, in his book Toward Soviet America, among the elementary measures the American Soviet government will adopt to further the cultural revolution are the following. The schools, colleges, and universities will be coordinated and grouped under the National Department of Education. This is before we had a National Department of Education. This was his plan. The studies will be revolutionized, being cleansed of religious, patriotic, and other features of the bourgeois ideology. 1619 Project. It's all a plan, folks. It's not an accident. The LGBTQ movement has redefined the roles of man and woman. Was that true? This is Michael Brown cited in Lutzer's book. The great enemy of the radical transgender movement is science. Biological realities can be stubborn, and no amount of human tampering can change those realities. I don't care what surgeries are done. You can't change reality. What is the church to do? We must return to the creation account of Genesis. Amen? What does the Bible say? We must declare that God only created two genders, male and female created he them. That's it. That's it. This is not to be hateful. It's not to be ugly. It's to state reality. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What's the truth? Men and women. That's the truth. 
Without a belief in God as creator, there's little hope of making sense of our lives and the roles we are intended to have in marriage, the family, and sexuality. So how are we going to handle this? I love this quote. Again, this is Michael Brown cited in Lutzer's book, Our Mission. Quote, we want to see people freed from their internal pain. How many of you know that people with gender dysphoria, that they are miserable? I'm not saying that we look at them as, 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 as less. I'm saying that internally they're not happy. They're miserable. We want to see people freed from their internal pain. We want to see them find resolution for the emotional torment they're experiencing. But no amount of compassion can change the biological and chromosomal realities. When our son Riley was born with an extra 13th chromosome, our wishing he didn't have that didn't change it. He still died. He had an extra finger. He had a protruding forehead. He had an underdeveloped chin. He only had one eye. Why? Because of the chromosomal reality. Men and women are different chromosomally. That's the reality of it. You can't change it. And listen, it's not compassionate to agree with them. That's why the transgender movement is starting to hit the wall. Science is against it. Remember, godlessness and aberrant sexuality always go hand in hand. Will you look with me at Romans chapter 1? Godlessness and aberrant sexuality always go hand in hand. The church standing. Why? Because we're before the throne of God. Look at verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Isn't it interesting? So I'm born a man. If I resent being a man and want to become a woman, that means I'm not being thankful that God made me a man. Is, is that fair? Yeah. It's just an example of how this verse is true. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Remember, empty, vain, imaginations. Imaginations are things that I believe that are not true. I'm a woman. It's not true. It's just not true. Amen? I was about to you know, feel really insecure up here. <laughs> but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Remember, unbelief, all of these things are not intellectual problems. They're heart problems. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Does that define the modern world? And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator Verse 26, for this cause, I better finish that verse, who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And I, I'm not going to go into that because I, I don't want to, let's just not use some of this language and understanding in, in, because of the, the, the crowd that we have here. But we need to understand that godlessness and aberrant sexuality always go together. Which, of course, is why this is what Satan is attacking. That's the world. Our statement. We believe that God wonderfully... This is our church. This is what we believe. Our church, Grace Baptist Church. This would be a good place for an amen when we get through it. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female... And that these two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. You have to believe that to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. We believe that God created marriage to be exclusively the union of one man and one woman. And that intimate sexual activity is to occur exclusively within that union. You have to believe that to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. And this has to be added. 
Final authority for matters of belief and conduct. The statement of faith does not exhaust the extent of our beliefs. The Bible itself as the inspired and infallible Word of God comprised of the 66 books of the King James Bible that speaks with final authority concerning truth, morality, and the proper conduct of mankind is the sole and final source of all that we believe. Amen. Amen. The church, standing for truth before the throne. You see, because of the Equality Act, because of laws that our wonderful Catholic president, wonderful Catholic speaker of the house are passing, the, the, the reason for that, the, the, the reason that we're doing this is because of these pagan, immoral, godless, satanic lawmakers. And so we have to put these things into our uh, church constitution. How many of you think the church ought to stand? Well, then let's all stand. Didn't preach the gospel today. The gospel is the belief that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for our sin, your sin and my sin. Doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your economic status is, doesn't matter what your gender is. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And when you place your faith and trust in Him alone for your eternal life, believing in His death, burial, and resurrection, if you will put your faith and trust in Him alone, then you are saved and you become a part of the family of God. And there's no difference in the races. We submit to God. We are one in Him. Amen? And then we represent that Christ in society. That's who we are to be. Moms, you're under attack. You're under attack. I want you to know your role is so important. Love those kids. Love your husband. Train them. Bring them up, fathers, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them to wrath. The home is more important than the church because the church is made up of homes. And that's why that's the number one attack of Satan. This, this all started in the 1960s. And it is moving at blazing speed, but it didn't really get its power until social media came along. Amen? Man, let's make sure that we know what's going on. We're not Luddites. We're not going to turn off all the technology. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is understand what your kids are doing. Know what they're doing. And let's reestablish the godly roles in our homes. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that's not born again, that today will be the day of their salvation. And the rest of us, help us not to be discouraged. You've prepared us for this for 2,000 years.